0: Hey folks, welcome to Colour Tour. I'm in Soho in London, checking out a lot of the old haunts where I used to work. Colour in Soho, but I'm crossing Oxford Street and I'm walking a little bit north to a place called Noho. And I'm going to The Look to chat with colourist and owner, Thomas Urbay. Ready to have some fun? If you look inside it, you can see every possible colour. Welcome, Thomas. Welcome to the Colour Tour. Thank you very much indeed, Warren. Oh, man, it's, it's great to be back in Soho, one of, my, one of my, old, my old haunts. We're not actually in Soho, though, are we? We're just the other side of Oxford Street. What do you call this area it's where we No-Ho,
1: are? Soho, isn't it? Fitzrovia. It's nice up here because it's a little bit... The buildings are a bit bigger. The challenge of Soho is that it's lovely, but they're all townhouses. So as soon as you step over Oxford Street, uh, you end up here on Margaret Street into the sort of slightly calmer and 1930s buildings with larger floor plans so it 's a nice area I like it let 's jump straight in what well, we are sitting in a,
0: a new floor for the look, a new adventure. we're in i 'm going to say we 're in theater type seats what 's the thinking behind the new area
1: Well, I think for you know the business has been going for seventeen years now, I think and It started in a small room on Bateman Street, then it was on a lower ground floor on Rathbone Street, and then we're on a lower ground floor at Margaret Street. And we've never really had a lot of client area. And we're doing some big shows now, big series, and we really needed to have a lot more space for clients to be able to hang out and relax. We wanted to build a couple more premium suites, and so the top floor became available and we wanted the penthouse. So we've emerged from the <laughs> lower ground floor, like a butterfly, the chrysalis. Right. And we've now got some natural light. So it's nearly finished, as you can see. it's yeah. We've got video pumping in here now, but not haven't got any door handles on this room yet. But we're not far off. So, yeah, it's very exciting.
0: Right. So I've just had a walk around. Uh, you've got a number of rooms. Uh, just tell us a little bit about your Hero grading room. What What have you got in there?
1: Yeah, so we've got... We've got three large grading suites. We're sat in one of them now. Uh, We have traditionally used Rio, which is an old Quantel product that we've been developing our own sort of custom version of it with agreement from Grass Valley. And that's been a really fun journey. And we're probably gonna continue that. Uh, And we've got Resolve here as well, along with Flame and Transcode. And I really like Resolve, it's a great product. And so, yeah, but predominantly we're on Rio because we've been able to customise.
0: So let's stop year. you right here. The kids are going what? <laughs> <Yeah>. Rio? What? <laughs> <Yeah>. Quantel? <laughs> yeah. For the for the teenagers out there, uh, there's a little bit of background because as I know, this was a heavy iron product back when the new coders and the base lights and the Resolve was first out there. It mm. was one of those sort of top four, wasn't it? There was heavy iron DI work, so is that how you got in, how did you get involved with uh, learning that box?
1: I actually ended up on a graduate scheme working for Quantel and only for a year and they had started to develop a system called IQ at that point which had a bit of grading tool set in it and there was Resolve when it was DaVinci and as you say a couple of other products as well. And when I went to work for Moving Picture Company, which is now Technicolor, or The Mill Group, we'll the same thing now. Uh, they bought a couple of systems. I went in there and trained Jean Clement on how to use it. So he was my mentor, I guess, and Max Horton of some other yeah. colors there. Very yeah. nice people, very yeah, talented. I really enjoyed working there. I was there for four years, and they had, I think, three IQs by the end of it. So they were grading. Uh, we did Troy on that, Court's Bride, Shaun the Dead, and I think we stuck with it because we had quite a lot of investment in it and had a very good relationship with the management team at GV, so we were able to still get quite good support. So we stuck with it. And they're all kind of the same. I mean, I think, you know, I, mean, I really like Baselight. I think Baselight's a great tool as well, you know, the, sort of the same way of skinning the cat, really. It's slightly well, different buttons Well, different
0: exactly places. right. I mean, whoever watched the show and went, oh, I know what that was graded on.
1: That way, exactly. No one seems to sort of ask anymore. They no. don't ask whether it's Rio or not. I just, no. just get on with it. And it's more about the workflow. What's really important is that you can do on the screen what people want yeah. to be able to do. Yeah. And, and that's really
0: key. It's the workflow and the artists, isn't it? Yeah. You know, Most clients, and as you say, they don't worry about what you're using. If you're happy to be using it, I mean, great. They're normally happy. What's uh, the main genre or type of work that you're doing here at The Look?
1: What is your bread and butter? Well we're mostly long form and we're mostly TV series and I think that was a decision that happened around 2012. We initially did quite a lot of short form work and when I first started the look when I left MPC I would say we're about 60-70% commercials and cinema traders. There are a lot of work (laughs) organising commercials in short form and it became clear that actually long form was much easier to manage as a smaller facility. We did a series called The Innocents for Netflix. And that was one of the very first, if not the first, I think, HDR drama being graded here that was actually delivered first. And that had the whole Dolby vision pipeline and everything. And it brought us very close to the team of Netflix, who were very supportive. And it and that was kind of the end of it, really. And I, I think obviously we've seen independent films have gone on a very difficult journey. So we've invariably ended up doing high-end TV series and specifically the stuff that really interests me and I think the company is quite complex heavy visual effects shows so we do things like Gangs of London we've just done quite a big show for Disney and that has a huge amount of visual effects shots in it Uh, even Sex Education which you would think is not a big VFX show does have quite a lot pfx in it and
0: i love sex education is there another one this there could be a scoop one. this could yes. be a scoop folks <laughs> no
1: it is that's known i'm not giving any away <laughs> oh there yeah. is another one there, there is another one coming and i believe that it's announced it's the final series as well so oh, right. i think that is it's out. a but, good fun show yeah, it's good fun very good fun show been a great journey
0: let's talk about the you mentioned dolby vision there uh delivering that hdr show like when you got a call and they said oh by the way this is Dolby Vision, you hadn't done one, did you go, yeah, that, that'll all be fine, and they go, right, okay, what do we need? What do we need to buy? How did it I, come I around, it, or were you sort of up to speed expecting the next show would go that way?
1: It, it's always frightening. Like, when I first did an <laughs> ACES show, it was a, a DP that really wanted to do ACES, had really drunk the Kool-Aid, Kool-Aid of ACES, and yeah. it was not dissimilar to that, where it was like, okay, it's deep learning curve, so, yeah, there was a bit of nerves about it. I have to, again, thank the guys at Netflix and uh, Dolby, Ian at Dolby, yeah. Gemma and Frankie, those guys. I knew Ian before. Everybody was so helpful. I can't tell you what a difference it made. And you try and be fairly honest with people. that You say, well, look, what what's it going to look like? How is this going to work? What do we need to do? And uh, the guys at, at GV were helpful as well, the R&D team there. I mean, I wouldn't have got to this... know having this floor or anything else without the support of the manufacturers as well and so yeah it was daunting and it was a steep learning curve and at the time whenever you're learning anything you sort of begrudge it a little bit thinking why am i getting distracted learning all this technical stuff but of course when you overcome it then it's very exciting and then it meant that we were doing the first dolby vision you know hdr show and that was a steep learning curve and then after that we could say we've done this already everyone who came in and said oh Apparently, you've done HDR. And it looked good. And I think the DP, David Proctor, did an amazing job. And he was very cautious about letting anything get overexposed on set, which I think was a bit new for the production company as well. They were like, wow, you know, this, this guy will literally stop shooting if the sun comes out and it clips on his red camera. Yeah. Uh, because I think Netflix and, and Dolby and everybody had said, look, you mustn't let the, the sensor clip out because images won't look good, which is true. It's still very much the case. Yeah, it was a great it was, it was a and great. And what journey. year was that? Oh, so it'd been, what, 2018, I think? what show is that? That's called The Innocents. Right, okay, yeah. Um, So it looked, you know, it looked great. And it was, I think it was an eight-parter. It was uh, for Left Bank. And yeah, very pleased with with how it looked. But that started, then we went on to Sex Ed, of course, which was just massive. And then they rebooted Top Boy. And I think we've done 20 HDR shows now. So in fact, every show we do is HDR. I think there's maybe one or two. As a boss, as well as a colorist, when you're
0: quoting on that sort of job mm. and it's HDR and you know it's colour management, it's different deliverables, how are you breaking that down?
1: When we first started out, movies were two weeks. Yeah. TV drama was two days for a, a BBC hour and that was really stressful. Yeah. It was actually really quite miserable. Yeah. And I'll be colourists who perhaps are listening to this who know how hard it is to get through 800 to 1200 shots yeah. in our episode and it yeah. is brutal yeah, it it's not there. very enjoyable no. and all credit to Netflix they actually and Dolby I think they kind of said look, you need four yeah. days for an HDR grade now that has come down to three now and certainly we find that the, 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 the market sets the number of days you know there's all every industry has a, a, a competitive element and three days HDR with a day for your trim pass is about right And yeah, you definitely can charge more for HDR. We have as well, because it's not just HDR, it's also 4K. Yeah. Uh, So the arrival of the streamers and initially Netflix, they were very supportive and said to the production companies, look, this is a lot more data. I mean, you're working at 16 bit float, EXRs. I mean, this is big data, 50 mega frame. I mean, that's punchy. Oh yeah. You know, you're doing 25 frames a second. So it wasn't like, you were working at HD or you know, some facilities used to work at sort of uh, DNX 185 or yeah. 220 or whatever they are. You have to work uncompressed, you have to work float and all the rest of it.
0: And the other thing, it's not like TVL 44 minutes for these streaming shows, are they? No, they some can of them are a, quite long. Yeah. They can be a bit longer, can't they? So they're going to be a bit yeah. out, so they are a bit longer. They TV. vary
1: each time. What's very interesting is on the shows, that the sweet spot does seem to be around 50 minutes. It's weird that that has sort of almost come back but there are episodes of the series that we've worked on that are an hour and 10 minutes, and then suddenly there'll be a 35 minute episode. I quite like that, but you don't know that when you're quoting it. You do with ITV. BBC and ITV, you always know what the duration's gonna be, but Sky are a bit more Wild West, they tend to vary a little bit depending on what the director's asking. So it can be hard at the quoting stage to know, and yet it's generally always three days, so sometimes you win because it's only 35 minutes, and other times it's an hour and 10, and you're exhausted like a, a mouse on a on a wheel going around. Just, I always sort of do like those little metal things that you drink out of. You know, I've got you. Yeah, it feels like there's not even time to go for a loo break. It's a bit miserable when it's like that.
0: <laughs> and where do you stand, Thomas, on the old HDR first or SDR first, uh, Dolby Vision afterwards, all that? That a lot of people seem to have an opinion on. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I, well, I I I'm I'm a convert of Dolby Vision. I think that. The team at Dolby have done an amazing job. And yeah, it was a bit of a compromise in version two. You felt like you had to work it a little bit. But I, I mean, Netflix sort of said it's this way or the highway. Yeah. There wasn't any choice there. I think when you had a little tour earlier, you saw our trim room where we've got an HDR screen on the left and SDR on the right so that the client can do the comparison. We've done both, but the vast majority are done using Dolby Vision. Yeah, uh, yeah. And There's less sort of creativity involved because you you sort of set it up and go through shot by shot match it and then you let the client watch it so there's also just less sort of deliverables to make less sort of versions to maintain because you just have one HDR master as a sequence or whatever and you drop this hat as we call it an XML hat over the top and from there you can create your other versions whereas if you're having to create sort of TIFF sequences or EXRs of all these other different color spaces, a little bit more faffy. Now,
0: this might be an exclusive. I'm hearing there's new tools coming in Dolby Vision. (laughs) Have you heard that? We can almost cut this bit out. I have heard that. Oh, I I haven't actually. It won't be a new version, uh, it'll be a new version, but there will be some new tools that (laughs) every colorist is going to like, I've been told.
1: (laughs) I mean, I have this really, it's really (laughs) interesting because when you're a colorist, but you're also a CEO, you're in this really difficult balance where there's a part of it that goes, Oh great, new tools. Oh, oh God, new tools. Yes. Which means more beaters and, and yeah. more instability for a while. Not because of anyone's yeah. particular fault, but yeah, I, you're just trying to establish whether Transcoder supports it, whether Rio's got it, whether we're gonna do it in Resolve, whether the Resolve is credited. You know, there's there's all this stuff yeah. that goes on. I think when you're when you're a sort of one man band one woman bad working out of a, a room. You just love all these beta versions. But when you're at enterprise level, which is what we would consider yeah. ourselves at, yeah. I, the sort of new tools slightly worries me. Yeah.
0: Maybe IBC, there may be something, I don't know. But they're definitely, they're doing something. And they realise that, yep, yes, it was right, but we could do more. So that'll be exciting.
1: I think what's what's interesting now is that Three years ago, four years ago, quite rightly, every director and DP came in here and said, why are we doing the HDR version? No one's going to see this. But of course, that's not the case now. You can't, well, you probably can buy a TV that isn't HDR, but I would think that it's unlikely that if you pop into John Lewis or Curry's or uh, Best Buy, that you're going to buy a TV that's not HDR. Now, I don't know what flavour of HDR that might be, but to say that no one's seeing it like that anymore when... I, I mean, obviously Netflix is. A, it, it, unfortunately you have to pay extra for it which I think is a bit of a shame but on the other platforms you don't iPlayer you don't uh, and so I think it's probably unfair to say that it's an also ran now the HDR I think actually the, the primary delivery is the HDR for people and every 6 months, 12 months that goes on that, that tilts even further and you're I holding am. your phone I grasping going well of course that's a, no one should be looking at for those of you not phone, watching but... the live YouTube stream I'm waving <laughs> around my phone well there you are and, and that's so I think, I think now it's, there's a big change in, I mean, there will come a time when the SDR just isn't needed. Yeah. Uh, and times move on. So yeah, no, that's gonna it be really good. It really will be like the sort of airplane that, version. That is going to be better. Yeah, that is certainly good.
0: Let me come back to you, you know, being CEO, how do you balance with your management hat onto your colorist hat? And would you? recommend anyone jumping in who's thinking about well, oh, maybe i could get another room and get some people is it <laughs> uh, it's
1: <laughs> it's really interesting because i think there's a there's a lot of excitement around being an entrepreneur and being ceo you know i really like stephen Barler's diary of a C- ceo i think it's a great podcast and i've talked to a lot of people who run facilities um and it is quite difficult and often you start as a freelancer in fact i kind of started as i suppose a freelancer where I had an office but you quickly realize that you need an assistant because the phone's going and you can't answer it so then you hire an assistant well then you're then you're really a company then properly it's not like you're just billing through a limited company and of course the biggest change transformation is when you hire people because then you're responsible for them In our line of work, you do often need to have a facility. So you're into the world of signing leases. You can obviously turn up the laptop, but mm. not, not everyone needs to start in a full-size grading suite by any means. But there is usually a transition where you have to decide, am I always gonna be freelance and happy to tour around? Yeah. Or do I actually want to be based in a set location and start a, a little company? Yeah. And I think that decision is is not to be taken lightly. But I personally enjoy it. When I first started, I used to evangelize to all friends and anyone I spoke to that everyone should run their own business. And I've changed my opinion on that now. I think that it's, I really enjoy it, but that's because I don't mind dealing with landlords, accountants, lawyers, obviously the team, I love my team.
0: If somebody's knocking on your door and they want a job as maybe a runner or an assistant, they haven't done anything at all, what are you sort of looking at from their, I'm going to say CV, but we don't really have them anymore. I mean, have they got to have a little reel? Have they got to go and shot stuff? Have they got to take photographs? Is there, is there anything particular out there that you go, well, you've got something?
1: It's really difficult because we're we're trying to make sure that we get people from lots of different backgrounds. And that also means educational backgrounds as well in terms of, Traditionally, it would be easy to just think, well, we want someone who's got a degree from Ravensbourne or Bournemouth or the Northern or NFTS. But of course, that brings with it uh, graduates who have, you know, from those particular universities, usually very experienced by then in terms of being in a university education and, and training on resolve, whatever it might be. But that sometimes those people can be really very ambitious. And they're like, well, you know, I'm ready to to sit in the grading suite. I could probably grade sex ed right now if you want me to. And that's great. Having really ambitious people is, is great. But you've got other people that you're working alongside. So, you know, this is a team of 22 currently. There are people that are, are going through their training and learning in a sort of methodical way So I think that it is harder now because we're, you know, I'm looking for people that maybe haven't gone to university as well who have demonstrated, and we've had this actually a number of times, who've as a part-time hobby have gone out and shot on a mobile phone or digital SLR and have created really quite interesting little films. But they also have to be able to hold a conversation and be a, a nice person. I mean, I think my, my my sort of hiring rule, which the team know about is that we should only really ever hire people that you go and have a drink with. I think that's so important, (laughs) because there's some really difficult times when you're in a very busy period. So I think it's really important to make sure that everyone you hire is a nice person. And I'm really 50-50 on the degree thing now. I really think that if you go to one of the really successful universities, we do have a couple from Bournemouth here. I went to the arts college at Bournemouth, at so the film school. We have people from Ravensbourne and lots of other universities, but some of the ones that have been to university where maybe it's not got a such great recognition as a as a good film or T V course have come out and said, I'm not sure I really learnt enough. A lot of the universities set people up to be videographers. Yeah. And that is not applicable to the vast majority of post-production companies in central London. Right. you know, And so a lot of the people here in their twenties say, well, really, we just learned about how to get it into Premiere, edit it in Premiere, yes. throw some titles on and export it. Yeah. But right. I don't, I mean, that's just a part of the industry. Yeah. It's not representative of of the high-end high level, whether that's production or post-production. You're not really setting no. people up. No. You're just giving them, well, here's a MacBook yeah. and get shooting. It's that's a bit of a shame. It's
0: part of it. It's part of it, I think. So this is a, a true virtual facility, isn't it? You've got no machines, no storage. Is that right?
1: Yeah, Not well, it's not in the building.
0: Explain, explain that, how this is working. <laughs> yeah. yes.
1: So, so cool. during the pandemic, so Mark, our CTO, has been investigating remote working for quite some time. Then the pandemic hit. So we'd already had quite a few boxes that enabled us to dial in effectively uh, from home. And that was particularly useful for shift work because you have finite machines and disks. If you imagine you're pulling 4K on six or seven machines at a time because there's only sessions going on. It's quite hard to be doing lots of other backing up at the same time. So invariably, we do have to run a shift pattern, which runs from sort of five till midnight. It kicks off again at 7 a.m. So people aren't working during the early hours of the morning. And rather than have people being in central London or in our Cardiff office at 11 o'clock at night, Mark had already started to deploy remote systems. So it's very pragmatic, but it wasn't just go to my PC or something when you're dialing in, it was actually quite a bit more secure because you need that for the kind of shows we're working on. And then the pandemic hit, we, thankfully, we already had these hardware boxes. And it was an opportunity then to say, well, can we, and Mark have been looking at this for a while, can we move the machine room out of this building? And very few companies have done this. And I don't think there's only one or two in central London. Uh, it's such a big undertaking. But essentially, all the equipment is down in West London in a data centre. I've not even been there. And there's five or six racks humming away there. And we have a dark fibre connection to that uh, data centre. So when I press play on a keyboard in front of me, the machine actually playing is 20-odd miles away, and there's no latency, because you're not going over the internet, you're going over a dark fibre connection. So it's like having a fibre cable that you've run personally from this office here in W1 down to Heathrow. And of course, then it means that from a security perspective, fire, theft, flood, Yes. You know, we're in a huge data centre where you need lots of ID to get in, Yeah, and uh, some of those worries like, perhaps around theft. I mean, obviously, yeah. you couldn't stop a terrorist bomb going off, but no. it does feel more enterprise. And actually, yeah. because the kit is cooled at the perfect temperature all the time, and there's all these other massive companies in this data centre... Uh, you tend to have less IT issues, crossing fingers, but having now done it since 2020, it has shown that people moving out of machine rooms tend to knock fibre cables and ethernets and things used to break more, now it seems to be touch wood a little bit more. And you're stable. pulling
0: those EXR images off there pretty obviously you are it's working for you let's yeah
1: so all the storage and the machines are next to each other in the rack down so there it's it, the video yeah. signal that you're pulling yeah, to here. yeah just the hd yeah. is 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 being pulled up just and then up, some yeah. networking stuff um, as well so do you, is it is it a 4k stream that comes up yeah yeah obviously, yeah. yeah. absolutely so we it, can do i think as 24 maybe mark would correct me if it was here, 24 or 32 streams of hd-sdi so that gives you your so you put them into fours or if you do hd you just need one and is that
0: spe- any special source of compression or or, anything, or No is that compression. Your own, that's right, no just No compression. The dark fiber is so, right, so fast. You no, know, you don't need any. Great. No, it's not stream box. We've it's got stream box as
1: well, but it's not compressed it's at all. It's nothing like that. No, it's absolutely the dark fiber is. There's right. no compression at all. It's full 4K or UHD at any frame rate that you want coming down the, the cable. So it's been transformational for us. Yeah. And we've got other stuff that we're going to try and do with that and i think that's the thing isn't it about a lot of people think well the cloud you know where is this cloud what is it where, where is it in? where, where yeah. does it live well it's, it's a data center so yeah. i guess in our own way it's kind of like our cloud but yeah it confuses people i think i think sort of people just assume that there's a sort of well, what is this cloud thing. i would
0: say the, the powers that be are like netflix and amazon and those sort of places would love that sort of security and Knowing where everything is and locked down, with because that's a huge thing for them, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it's reassuring to have it there. It's a bit weird, but it's not great seeing all these racks of kit in a building as well. In W1, where there was always slight sort of not sleepless nights, but we used to get sent a lot of tapes, and uh, there was no dupes made years ago, so people would shoot on tape, and the BBC couldn't afford to make. Duplicate, so you always thought, God, if there was a flutter of fire, then this whole series that's been shot for millions of pounds <laughs> would be, the tapes would be floating around at the look on the lower ground floor. Ooh. So your insurance is always more if you've got a lower ground floor. Yeah. I digress. <laughs> but yeah, so there is some, there is some reassurance uh, yeah. around having the, the kit down at the data yeah. centre. Yeah.
0: Cool. All right. Well, that's lovely. Let's go, let's step outside and uh, have a little look around no-ho.
1: No-ho, all right, let's do it. That was cool.
0: Folks, we're we're not taking the lift because we're both trying to get a little bit fit here (laughs) and I'm going snowboarding, so we're actually walking down from the fifth (laughs) to the basement, (laughs) um,
1: which is uh, so far so good. You're not regretting the decision then, are you?
0: No, 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 I'm good, I'm going well, I'm going well.
1: This, so yeah, this is the Neo panel, which was, uh, Quantile Grass Valley's panel for this system.
0: Now, this is a pretty large panel, folks. I remember when the, this guy came out, and it's, it's quite deep, so we'll get a photo put in the notes for, so
1: you can see. Put the hands on it there for you. <laughs> it's a really nice panel, actually. All credit to uh, the guys that. Quantel as it was it's very well built in fact it's all metal and well not all of it but it's extremely heavy and it's very well built and we've very rarely had a fault in any of them I think we've got three or four now it's a really nice panel to use ergonomically you can also move all the controls around change where the the dials are and the knobs and And stuff it's it's Grass Valley now yeah it's Grass Valley so they acquired the the software their focus is mostly live now, which is why we've ended yeah. up sort of developing some aspects of the code ourselves specifically for the stuff that we do. So we're very interested in automation and Python scripting here. Yeah. Uh, because when you're doing these complex shows with so many visual effect shots, it's quite important to have the ability to automate yeah. the dropping of visual effect shots, and we actually pull information off other systems and. It's quite, it's quite advanced what we've been able to do yeah. now uh, to try and make the process easier. So I remember I mm. first bought an EQ from Quantel and when I first started the look and I had to put 10% down and then pay it off over three years and it was £120,000. And so I was laden with a huge amount of debt to start off.
0: Your, your, life. Lo-
1: your life. I don't know, we Why might just I go to the Faros the next door your because la- I know has been is really busy.
0: You're, sp- you're supposed <laughs> to say really good things. You're supposed to say, oh, so-and-so director's in the house. I'm really pleased yeah, you yeah. haven't
1: said, let's talk yeah. to everybody else yeah. and see what yeah. they think that about working look. Yeah, yeah. 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 Boy, <laughs> He's so getting the is truth. That, is that Steven Soderbergh? Yeah.
0: there? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot, guys. See you.
1: <laughs> yes, yeah, so Grace is uh, a colourist with me. We've been with the company now for, well, it must be six or seven years. Great. And uh, she came in from Bournemouth. Yeah. And uh, you know it does take it does take four or five years really to I think she would yeah. say the same thing. Yeah. What, I think when you come out of university you often think, oh it's gonna be a really quick journey, but I'm not yeah. sure I'm not sure it is. It takes time. In part because of the client stuff. The client stuff's the hardest bit. Oh
0: yeah, we yeah, we often say that, don't huh? we can push the buttons, but having that right balance of your you know, technical, creative, drive the clients, look after
1: them. Yeah, it's good. That's the bit that's, that takes the time. I so think. we're on
0: Margaret Street, which is literally 100 metres from Oxford Street. Most people have heard of that street. Regent Street, 200 metres that way.
1: I really like this area, and actually a lot of the cli- a lot post houses and clients have moved up here now. So there's been a bit of a change in meet people moving away from solo. So the Thursday's the big night now, and it's quite sad for the pubs, because oh, yeah. I, we, we, we have drinks in quite a lot of the local pubs, and they all say that Friday's really miserable, and yeah. there's, there's no one in, and then Saturdays aren't great either. So I think there's a lot, a lot of empty shops and stuff now, which is a bit It's It's gotta be really sad.
0: hard just for, you know, anyone who's got taken take a coffee shop or on the lease, and if you're relying on that, Steady trade here. Try outside here. Yeah, is that yeah. okay? It Are we great. okay to have a drink
1: here? Yeah. Fantastic. Oof. Great. Thanks very much. <laughs> just, just. I think just the drinks for the moment. Thank you. you. You don't
0: mind being on it, do you? There's no pictures. <laughs> it's just your voice. It's beautiful.
2: It <laughs> Yes, it is.
1: Straight in with a Star martini if you, want. Yeah. Of course. How, you guess? Of a How did you get? Drink choice or the spicy mug?
0: yes i'll probably just have a gin and tonic what's your relationship with the other ceos in the do you have any sort of get-togethers or is it a rivalry or how do you find that
1: <laughs> no I, I really i mean i know toby Tompkins, yes. uh who obviously ran cheap and i uh, really like toby and mm-hmm. tom walker and some of those guys there aren't many Independent post house. Tom is—is is he dirty? Looks? Dirty looks. Yeah. Right. Yes. So you know. he's ever such a nice guy. And again, focused on uh, predominantly independent features, whereas Toby was focused on commercials and has moved into uh, what's doing, you know, long form. And uh, I guess those companies are kind of similar to us. Uh, but we have a good relationship with, uh, so we you know Michael and I also know Acer from yes. uh, Warner Bros. Denali, they're very yep. nice people and we've actually referred each other jobs before. Uh, so there is, a, there is a sort of sense of good. relationships and camaraderie, not sometimes with the very large facilities, but because they're kind of quite corporate and sort of driven really by the US. Yeah. But during the pandemic was interesting, so I, yeah. I, I was a member of UK Screen and Neil Hatton's done a lot there.
0: Uh gin and tonic, what, what particular variety? I'm gonna go for a tankery, yes. please. We'll have two of those. Large one? ones? Yeah. Two of those. Do you want a twenty-five or the two? I'll
2: go for a double. Yeah, let's do the double. Because yes. it's a Thursday. We're celebrating, we're celebrating. Yeah, no. We're yeah, we're yeah.
0: live on the radio. Yeah, go for the champagne. Thank
2: you. Steady.
0: This is not not colour to budgets. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Margaret Street, it's quite interesting because We've got the lofts that are final cut opposite us, who have a lot of very nice offline suites, and then quite a lot of our clients have production companies here. And then we've got sound companies like Boom, Bang, Jumbuck, who are yeah. all nearby, so they can do their mix and their ADR uh, within one or two minutes. You yeah. know, I lived in a village for a small part of my life, and I Oh, I never want I live in a village. Everyone knows your business. I can't come out of this office now without bumping into producers, directors, and executive producers, who start asking questions about their project. Which is actually quite nice, but yeah. also you feel like you, you know you walk out, you're bound to bump into somebody.
0: This is the only place I think in the world that is so still close together. Everywhere else you know New York is pretty spread out Los Angeles is totally spread out of course we used to have in Sydney we used to have a bit of that vibe but that's all say gone hi to me. Yeah. Hardcore, hardcore, so we're
1: just hardcore. doing a little podcast at the moment yeah, hello, oh, hello. So, yeah. I'm Murray. I'm Warren hello uh, i
0: am Didi or oh. my other name is Qin yeah. So, yeah.
1: yeah so this is a, a local restaurant for me yeah. now because it's right next to the office yeah. so we have been here a few times and we're recording a podcast at the moment. So yeah, did I, did I no, You're not, at all. Really? not at all, we've ordered a gin and tonic. So yeah, we, we're not just sit down. We have
0: ordered. Yeah,
1: so it's a nice, it's a nice environment being here. And I think it's very exciting for people. You know, I moved to London. I'm not from London originally. Yeah. And that was quite daunting for me at the time and I would say probably two-thirds of our team are not from London. They've moved to the
0: city. You mentioned you got a, a Welsh office, is that right? Yeah. So how did that come about?
1: Well, there was a lot of production going on in Wales, and you know, I'll be honest in saying that there was uh, tax opportunities, not for us as a post house, but for production companies, because they were very keen, uh, the Welsh Government, to encourage people to go and shoot there. Yeah. And so we initially took on the a lot of people pop up offices they don't really do anything with them we, we were very clear and actually a lot of the Welsh filmmaking community were a bit cheesed off that you know London companies would just rent an office and they're not doing anything with it so we hired one person in there we've now got four people in there and so because everything's in a data centre we are actually conforming and onlining and doing deliverables we can do a little bit of grading in there as well so we've got a project coming up in fact Sex Ed was a Welsh Production. It's shot there. Gangs of London. The first series was shot in and around Wales as well. The Welsh director, um, Welsh-based DP. They're conforming and prepping
0: projects for you as well. Yeah. So
1: it's exactly the same setup as London.
0: Exactly. Exactly the same. So they could
1: be anywhere. Yeah. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, and that right. means that you could pop up anywhere in the world. Obviously, if you start going outside the UK, you might get latency. But yes. they're not on Dart Fibre, but they're on a very fast connection. Right. Yes. But they're still dialed into the data center. Right. So okay. the experience is very, very similar to being here in W1. Um, really? But they've got an office environment. So it's not like it's a whole bunch of people just working from, from home. Uh, and it's in the same building as Bang, who are one of the sound companies there. So there's an advantage there to clients. So it's been a good, uh, I think it's been good for us. It's it's great to be able to build that team down there. We're hoping to hire more people in the near future as well. So, yeah, it's good. It's good if you like rugby.
0: Yeah. I want to step back a little bit. Who makes the decision whether you are going colour managed, Asus, you know, Blackmagic have got their own uh, DaVinci colour management, Uh, Filmlight got theirs, I don't know if Guantel have theirs who sort of makes that decision does that come with chats with the dp production company yourselves
2: or do they tell you this is how it's going to be or how do you it's it's really interesting because like a lot of decision making in this particular industry it's usually done by committee
1: so there's a a a little bit of sort of feeling it out if you've worked with a, a, a production company in dp it's not you know, directors aren't really interested in colour science and post revisors aren't really that bothered either. No. So it's usually uh, uh, the people who are interested in the discussion are the streamer, the broadcaster. Yeah. The public broadcasters like the BBC ITV, TV, they're not really that bothered. But you know, Netflix are generally quite interested and Disney and, and yeah. Amazon and those guys. And then it's usually if the DP has a uh, preference as well. I, I like ACEs now. I think yes. I really like the I think the ACEs Academy has done a great job. I think the team there have really worked very hard to try and solve the challenges of shooting on multiple cameras, because it is a pain. It's very good for visual effects, because you can swap out the ADTs. So I don't want to get too technical, but I think that there's a lot of value in cases. So I was a little bit concerned when it was version one, and I suppose when, uh, you know, Jamie Kearney who's a DP where he really wanted to go aces and I make some calls and some people were really pro aces and other people yeah. you know technical and color scientists were quite anti aces and that made yeah. it quite difficult for for me yeah. to make a decision on if yeah. this was the right decision but he was yeah. really keen that he wanted to do it and that was yeah. another evolution and then next minute we do that and all thanks to him sort of saying that I really want to do this I am suddenly find myself as part of sort of aces adoption group and on aces calling like an evangelist for aces and i'm like how did i end up We're, here like six months ago i was going is this really the way forward We're so in.
2: it's usually us it's usually the colorists yeah. you know, pushing and, it with a bit of stream and TV obviously
0: stuff. the vfx the vfx heavy show they've yeah. got to be on board haven't they you know, yeah yeah i mean they really like it because the reality
1: i think we've got one series at the moment that's going to be on it's always a motorbike so there's going to be 17 different cameras on it counting because oh, yeah. of course the moment you get into dji's it's all these yeah. There's so many different ones, particularly when you're shooting abroad and you just try and get whatever you can get, that is uh, that means you just get all sorts of things. And of course a lot of these cameras don't have IDTs, so no. without getting too technical, then yeah. you know you yeah. can't always easily get them into an ACES colour space. No. But for archival and stuff, yeah. it's fine and I yeah. don't think it makes much difference. Some show if yes. it's a simple drama we tend to just go in the, the log format that the yeah. camera shoots in, S yeah. yeah. log or log C four or three. Um, but if, if it's a complex VFX show, we find that the Aces is, going Aces is quite pragmatic, yeah. actually.
0: And we've got news on Aces 2.0? Well,
1: I don't know, I sort of get the newsletter, and then, so I guess it will happen sooner or later.
0: I thought you were gonna give us a scoop as you're an evangelist. No, no,
1: I don't, I don't get too close to the color signs of it and it's when sa- they're gonna release it. Oh,
0: it sounds, you know, it sounds good things and they've talked to enough people about it and it's. I'm glad that it's certainly got the traction that it's got. Because it does, it does make a lot of sense. You know, once you can get your your DP on board, and obviously some embrace it a lot more, don't they? The tech yeah. of digital mm-hmm. cameras, especially the guys and girls that moved out of film, uh, where it obviously it was a you know,
1: sort of a lot simpler. Um, they're the same with HDR as well. You know, you, well, HDR you know, monitoring on set is starting to come in now. Yeah, I mean, it's been talked about for a while, but we have a production that is shooting uh, with HDR monitoring and. and that was where I definitely felt like, okay, going an ACES workflow here and having the an ACCCT CCT and being able to apply different ODTs on different monitors, because of course there's one really one or two HDR monitors on set the rest of it, is. Yeah, yeah. So there's quite a lot of advantage to it in that. So I think it will probably become a, a de facto. But equally, as I understand it, this may have changed recently, you know, the ARI 35 came out without an ACES IDT. Uh, I could be wrong. I'm not, not up to speed right on it, right? but. That certainly the cause we were having when these when it first came out, and people were shooting on it was well, we're going to have to go log C4 because we haven't found a, an ACEs solution. So, yeah. yeah, that I'm sure that's probably changed already, but right now we've we've committed to the, the first hour 35 jobs to be just log C4 mm. and we'll manage into that color space.
0: Great, so this is an important question. Uh, what day of the year does the sun come out? <laughs> I mean, we're now in July, folks, it's nearly August, and it's, it's pretty. Great. It's not actually raining, but it's a bit grey.
2: Yeah, it is grey. It's. It, it's I, of course, it doesn't. There's, there's higher rainfall in New York and uh, Rio. Yeah. I'm assured. Yes. Because uh, when I travel, I travel quite a bit, and I can. Because when you're in a dark room, you want to get out of it as well. Yeah, but it's do. often grey. Unfortunately, you do. This is, is but thing. this
0: don't you? This this city like transforms like or just Britain like no other when it's sunny, isn't it? when it's sunny everybody is out there They're upbeat aren't they there's, there's a smile on the
1: dial you know it's like a different place well, i think this 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 winter particularly i think we all felt it at the look as well it got sort of april may and it had been gray for quite a while and i think it does become quite difficult it's not an easy uh, country to live in in terms of its weather uh it's i suppose it's set up for economies a, a, a burgeoning and uh, exciting economy because the weather's not nice enough you think well we'll just head off now because it's sunny and it's 4 o'clock. Uh, but it has been particularly poor <laughs> so far this year. We can't just talk about the weather because I mean that's just classic
2: Brits isn't it? Whenever oh, yeah, I travel people say is it raining in London? Man,
0: let's stop about the road. well Let's talk about uh, the colourist society. Are you, are you a member of the colourist society? I'm not. Oh. <laughs> not Does that mean I've got to for the drinks? Now? Not a member. Oh, I'll get straight on the phone to Kevin, <laughs> Mr. Shaw. No, credit card, <laughs> strong arming yes. me. The credit card. Some not me. member. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, I think they're doing uh, a good job on more awareness and signing people up. And uh, they've got this Hollywood chapter, mm-hmm. which is uh, getting a few more colourists on board with it. We've got one down in Australia and New Zealand. We've got about 25 colorists in that, which is pretty good. And we try and do little meetups and got a little Discord group for chatting about stuff. So I think it just makes everything easier. Uh, they've got a big push on as well now for trying to get more credits and just more awareness for, for colorists. Hang on, there's a guy in the middle of the street. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he, he thinks, oh, the car's trying to go around him, but he's just standing
1: there. Yeah, unfortunately, there's yeah. a guy who looks a little bit Yeah, pissed. well, he's, yeah, he mean, could that, well be. That's soho and noho for oh, you, yes. isn't it? Oh, well.
0: This is Thursday, the new Friday. Yeah, I think I think that's it. He seems to be moving on now. Mm. So you're sitting there looking at your HDR monitor, and it looks beautiful. And somebody says, "Oh well, okay. So what's it going to look like at home, or what's it going to look like on my iPad?" <laughs> <What is it? laughs> Move on. <Yeah>. Good answer. <laughs>
1: Look lo- well, look, that. it's got much better than it was. Yeah. And the iPad you know, uses yeah. the remote tool. We use Moxion, which is a, yeah. like a sort of yeah. Vimeo on steroids. Yeah. It's auto-test now, but yeah. great, great product. You can upload your HDR ProRes LT on there, and.
2: would you you often do that just as a sort of a double check type well yeah we we do it and and a lot of people have to do stuff remotely you know when it's very busy you have directors and dps
1: who are often mixing somewhere else or they're shooting or the dp will be shooting somewhere else producer may not be able they're on holiday for two weeks they'll take an ipad with them very common that people will give notes on Moxie, and it's secure as well. Whereas yeah. a bit Vimeo, you know, is probably not enterprise yeah. level. No, the Vimeo guys. But you can, you know, give notes and stuff. So yeah, absolutely. And good. it's much better than it was. They are good, aren't they? As Really good iPads, the new MacBooks. Yeah. Uh, we, you know, we could even supply an LG. You know, the G3. Yeah. Got of those. They're really fantastic. Yeah. All the LGs recently, the last few years, have been yeah. transformational. Yes, they can't do the nits of an X300, blah blah blah. No. But they're pretty good. I mean, God, what a change. Oh from yeah. where we were for five, ten years ago oh. so I think now and all credit to Netflix and Dolby they worked on filmmaker mode you know when you watch something on Netflix it, your TV goes Dolby Vision and people are seeing it as the filmmaker intended and yeah. I've ran I, I remember when we do sometimes get people going well, it's not going to be like this when you get home Exec, I think execs sometimes are a little bit mired in the past going why are we spending all this money it's never going to like this I've run Sex Ed playing out of the the, the Rio or Resolve Press Play on the X300, and then
2: gone onto my Netflix account on the TV in the grading suite. Press Play and go. Look at that. So we've come to the very important part of the podcast. And it's your your highs and
1: lows of your grading career. Yeah. One thing that I remember. One thing that particularly happened was that we were doing a series quite early on for the look, and it had been lit quite dark, very beautiful, but quite dark, and the. Production company um, producer wanted it much brighter than the DP had lit it really, and and, and, and I'd attended the DP, I knew the DP, and we had, you know, graded it. I thought very beautifully, but they were a bit like this. This is all far too dark, and rather than saying, look, can you grade it up? Because it was difficult because of the relationship with DP. I was a bit like, well, DP's happy, yeah. a very position. They actually pulled the job and didn't tell, tell us, and they actually went to a different colorist. No, really. And that was really heartbreaking. Yeah. And in fact, they never, oh, I was trying to get through a green light here. Right, they, they didn't actually tell us because we kept saying when are we doing the rest of the Uh, grace they said it was on hiatus on hiatus and then we saw trailers for it on the BBC and that was really heartbreaking and actually that really that really upset me and quite a few of the team at the look at the time because I suppose it's a bit like that British thing rather than just people saying look we're going to take this route Uh, they did pay for some of the the, the work they didn't pay the full contract but that was pretty that was Mm. pretty heartbreaking and I think running a business generally there's been some highs and lows on, on that. There's been times when we've I've thought, why on earth am I doing this? You know, When I was hardly taking a salary at all, and I thought I could be back at MPC or working at another facility, earning a lot more money. And sometimes you think, God, you're working all these hours, dealing with all these stress, and the machine's breaking. And, and
0: someone's and ringing, you go, I can't come in today, I don't feel so good. Yeah. And you go, no,
1: come on, where are you? So there's been some moments where I thought, why on earth, you know, and dealing with landlords, we had a very difficult decision on a particular office we had. Uh, but I think the graining experiences have genuinely been really, really positive and I would say to people that sometimes the most difficult grading sessions are the ones when the clients are most likely to come back because <laughs> weirdly the people that are the most one thing I've realized is the people who are most punchy and sometimes the most difficult to win over are the ones that are the most loyal uh, and sometimes I come out of a doing a, a, a project and I think oh we've on really well what a lovely director what a lovely DP and I never work with them again and it's because they just are very easy going and yeah. they'll go anywhere, yeah. Yeah. and they'll, if the pressure comes say, oh, we've got a deal, they at, go, you know, next place, yeah. they go,
2: yeah, easy breezy. But the ones who are, you think, God, this, this person's really hard work. Yeah, yeah. They're really
1: making me work for this mm. grade. What a tough session. And yeah. at the time, you're like, exhausted. Yeah. You get home, and you yeah. sit on the sofa, and yeah. I so my yeah. partner goes to me, um, you're right. right, I'm just, what I, an intense grade. But they're the people who go, I'm only having Thomas grade my show. I think when you are starting out, you're really averse to conflict. Yeah. You know, and I oh, yeah. actually now, yeah. as I've got a little bit older, yeah. I, I wouldn't say enjoy conflict, but I come to conflict management, as you might call it, or difficult conversations quite, I find it quite interesting. And actually as a, as a colorist, you are often, this is the final stage before delivery. Like we yeah. are the ones that upload to, to Netflix and yeah. sometimes the client is watching it on the screen yeah. and they see things for the first time, or they have a bit of a meltdown about, have we. Have we done the right decision here and everybody's in the room and everybody wants an opinion and so a lot of it is yeah it's about how fast you could do it but also make take everybody in the room on the journey with you you've got to feel like when someone goes is this scene a bit dark if you shut that down they are gonna you'll think all well, the DP will be like this shut down this shut it down, shut it down. And, and I was like, okay careful and they'll go it's fine I guarantee that that next day or day after an email is gonna come through because that person hasn't been held and yeah. heard. And that yeah. is the thing that you learn as you get a little bit older. It's like, you just say, look, we're just going to do, it's a great note, we're just going to slightly tweak that up. So anyone who's working with yeah. clients remotely or in person, don't shut people down. No. Give them the, go on the journey with them. Let them yeah. have their moment. You could even, you know, there's, there's this sort of slightly famous thing where, oh, I bet the car didn't even move the dials. I th- I've never done that. I think that's really unfair. And I think that... <laughs> <laughs> and, and DPs will go, But it didn't change anything. I go, no, I did change it. I can show you before and after. Because I think it's a real disservice to say to somebody that you know better than they do. So it's, always give people the opportunity to be that, heard and, and, and try and address their note, because they'll but go away happy That's, that's how them. they
0: learn. That's how anyone learns, isn't it? You know, I also feel hard for DPs who don't get invited to the session. Or maybe there's a bit of this thing. Well, they might change it all. But unless you're sitting, unless they're sitting there, and they only see the final thing, they need to know the process that got from what they shot to what you did and how you got yeah. there and where you pushed it and where it was slightly out and where you twisted that color temperature just a little bit. So they
1: learn. Yeah, you know, I, the relationship with the uh, director and the cinematographer is yeah. really important in that. <laughs> a lot of roles are colourists people won't be thinking that this is the case of psychotherapy <laughs> because we touched on it we were walking down the stairs i don't know if it will be in the podcast but yeah. within about two or three hours you've got beyond how the shoot was and they're moaning yeah. about how difficult it was yeah and you started talking about their personal lives and the challenges they have in their career and why mm-hmm. they don't like their agent one of my best friends is an agent so i yeah. always stick up for agents yeah. but you really get into the weeds and you really build i think what's nice about being a colorist is yeah you're sitting in front of a screen for eight hours a day uh but you really build great relationships with people and friendships with people because you get to know a lot about them because i'm not often running it with audio so
2: you're chit-chatting yeah and i think yeah. I, you know i don't necessarily socialize a lot with my clients yeah they don't want to socialize with me i'm sure but we have a good laugh
0: yeah, and I think that's been,
2: what makes the, the job uh, they, interesting they, as well. You
0: want to be sitting there for eight hours and in a
1: way, you know, having a good time, don't you? It's all part of it. Definitely. And their ability to be involved in the process, see... And sometimes they have a little bit of an existential crisis. You know, some DPs will get very upset when they see maybe they were short on time, that's usually what it is and they beat themselves up a little bit. So you're kind of sort of picking up and going, it's all right, it's all right.
0: Yeah. You know, like I'm just tapping you on the arm, it's all yeah. right, it's all right. And
1: they yeah. have a little moment, because of course, yeah. in my in, in my situation, I'm employed, and the, and the, nearly everyone the look is, well, everyone that currently in the look is full-time, so they're kind of safe in their jobs. Well, these people are freelance, and anyone who's listening is freelance. It's like, yeah. you feel like that famous phrase, you're in as good as yeah. your last job, which yeah. is really unfair, and I <laughs> think that that's, again, another sort of, a bit of an unfair uh, phrase, (laughs) because you are going to have jobs that don't go so well, and that's really bad to say that that's your last job. But DP's directors, not every single job they do is going to be a hit, and some of them are not, it's not going to go that great, and you have to sort of counsel people through that a little bit, and not think, oh, don't.
2: This is the end of my career. I did a series called Fleabag many years ago, which had a really big impact on a lot of people. And Top Boy was another one. Top Boy is is a show that quite a few of the team work at the Look either did as uh, an A-level essay or a dissertation. Uh, It was really transformational. And and when people say, "Oh my God, I love Fleabag," or "Oh Sex Ed," when's the next series coming out? I love it. Yeah. And for us, it's a day job. So you are a little bit like, oh, yeah, it's a tough series. You don't know what goes into it. Fleabag was quite straightforward. But the other shows, you know, Sex Ed is a, yeah. it's a difficult show. And uh, yeah. you know, it's got to look sunny when, as you pointed yeah. out, whether well, it's not yeah. always that great yeah. in the UK. And, but it's an incredible show that I think around 190-odd countries, I don't know if time time four or whatever it is, but they're in a lot of countries. It's translated in all these different languages. And it's a great show that for a lot of people means a lot. It, it has some challenging subjects, just like Top Boy does. Yeah. And Fleabag in its own way did that. And to be part of that, I think sometimes you've got to stand back and celebrate the successes. Yeah. And, and that's really important. And not just get caught in the weeds no. of you know the the grade itself so uh, and the fact that people are seeing that vision as intended by all of us now uh, even an SDR like even an SDR on these screens now it's not yeah HDR is nice obviously the the skies look better but it's it's as we intended and that's really fantastic and the grade is all part of that I did a series called landscapers for sky and HBO and uh, Eric won the BSC I got an RTS award for picture enhancement and
1: I was really proud of the series. I've You know, I put everything, I put everything between the series, but that I really, really put a lot into. And it, the colour was a really, oh, the colour, just like the score, was a really big part of of it. Yes. And along with the amazing cinematography, the editing, the direction, it's incredible, performances. But, you know, that was really something special for, for me and the team. We really, you know, really cared about that show. And the colour of it, uh, I think, had a, has a had a big impact on it. So it was a really proud moment. So there are, there are great moments of a career. Thomas, I'm going to wind this up. It's been a
0: fantastic chat. Thank uh, you, Warren. It's, been, it's been great and to be off.
1: back thank in
0: you. London, and uh, all the best with uh, the, your new room. It's going to be thank great. You so uh, much. Uh, yeah. Thanks for joining. Pleasure. All right, thank, you for thank, thank you for listening. Thank much. you. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please check out the iColorist website. There's loads of stuff on there apart from classes that are coming up there's some really great resources remember there's almost 12 years now worth of videos stories blogs backstories So there's some really useful stuff go there and if there's not a class there that you want please reach out to us and we will always try and customize something for you take care folks and i'll see you on the next one